Our scripture reading today is from Jonah 3, 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning seeking your face. God, we come to you bringing all of our baggage, bringing all of our difficulties, bringing our weak, bringing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, we bring it to you and we expect to hear your voice today. Lord, we expect your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. We expect to hear your word as it is proclaimed. God, give us ears to hear the good news that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. How was your week? Jonah had a bad week. Jonah had a, a really really bad week. You know, he, 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 first of all, he heard God's call and he ran the opposite direction. Next thing you know, Jonah gets caught in a terrible storm, a life-threatening storm. Next thing you know, he's being thrown overboard. He's drowning and he cries out for mercy and so God rescues him with a great fish, another difficulty, another trial swallows him whole, and then Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days, and he's singing and composing a song in the fish's belly. And then, at the end of three days, he gets vomited out onto the dry land. Jonah had a rough week. And if you're Jonah, at this point in your story, you're probably feeling lucky just to be alive. You're feeling just lucky that I made it through this week. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just lucky that I got through this week. I'm just lucky that I got through this week. And if you're Jonah and you know what you've done, you know where you've been, you know how you've rejected God and his call, you probably feel like now God's done with me. You probably feel now that uh, God has no more plans for me. I'm probably going to go off into exile. Uh, Jonah the prophet is canceled. Right? You probably feel after a huge failure that God is just done with you. It was a dark day for Jonah. And it's fitting 
that today is Halloween because it can be a dark day as well. Now, it can be a day full of costumes and fun and candy, but it can also be a dark day. In fact, it often is a dark day, Halloween. Halloween can be a celebration of darkness, but as Christians, we don't celebrate the darkness. We celebrate the light that overcomes the darkness. And so I want you to look at today as an opportunity. Uh, not, not, not as a, an opportunity to go along with what the world does and celebrate the darkness. No, an opportunity to celebrate the light of God's grace. Let me give you a little history lesson. Today, October 31st, marks the 504th anniversary of the beginning of what is known as the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was a German priest, and he began to despair of God's judgment. He felt the weight of God's law and all that was required of him, and he began to despair. And so rather than uh, jumping off a cliff, Martin Luther began to read the Scripture for himself more deeply. And as he read, he discovered something that he had never seen before. He discovered that the practices of the church in that day had gotten out of step with God's Word. That, that they had created this system of merit that you could use to purchase favor with God. And if you know anything about the history, you know that there was a practice in the church in those days called the sale of indulgences, where you could literally buy favor from God. And this was a system that prejudiced against certain classes of people. And so Martin Luther, as he read God's Word, he saw that it wasn't what we do that makes us right with God, but it's something that starts with a G. And what is that? It's God's grace. It's God's amazing grace. And so, on October 31st, 1517, today, 504 years ago, Martin Luther, this priest in a town in Germany called Wittenberg, he wrote out, and he was a detail person, he wrote out 95 points of disagreement. 95 points of disagreement that he had with the current teaching of the church based on his reading of Scripture about God's grace. And he took that and he, he nailed it on the bulletin board, which was the front door of the church. Can you imagine? We can't nail things on our door. It's made out of glass. But in those days, the, the doors were these huge places where people would post bulletins. And so on... That day, October 31st, he posted his disagreements, his 95 theses. Now, why did he choose this day? Well, because the following day, the 1st of November, was one of the biggest holidays in the church called All Hallows, e, All, All Hallows Day or All Saints Day. And so the day before that is the eve of All Hallows Day. And so if you put that together, you get All Hallows' Eve. All Hallows' Eve. All Hallows' Eve. 
which we know today as Halloween. All right? Y'all learning something, right? Halloween. So All Hallows' Eve. And this was a day, it was just a convenient day because Martin Luther knew that the next day a lot of people would see that front door. Because everybody would be coming to church. That's why he chose that day. Nothing special about it except that it was when the people were going to be there. So he posted his 95 theses about God's radical grace. And today's passage brings us face to face with God's amazing grace. Face to face with God's amazing grace. Two points from today's passage. The first one is this. Grace never gives up on you. Number one, grace never, never gives up on you. Let's look at the word again together. This is in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Mm, Some of the best words in this entire book. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. God had issued Jonah the exact same calling back in chapter 1. Look with me in your Bibles back at chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 1. I don't have it on the screen. You've got to turn there. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Actually, if you'll put chapter 3 back up on the screen. Okay, so th- now I'm re- that's chapter 3 on the screen, but listen to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Which is what I'm going to read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Almost identical wording to what was in chapter 1. See, the word of God came to Jonah after he blew it, after he ran away, after he told God, I'm not doing what you want me to do. God rescued him, and God didn't forget him, but God set him back on the exact same mission. The second time. I mean, word for word. Y'all, Jonah, as he's writing this, he wants us to know that God is giving him a second chance. And really, it's more than a second chance. It's more than a second chance. Jonah finds himself called by God once again. He is the washed out prophet. A huge failure. The epitome of faithlessness. And God says, arise. Go. Call out. Grace never gives up on you. Grace never gives up on you. Because God doesn't use perfect people. God uses you and me. People like Jonah who go astray, who do our own thing, who disobey our parents, who disobey the law of the land, who disobey God. That's who God uses. Grace never gives up on you. I played football in high school. And some of you, who's watching football this this season. Anybody? I know some of you are watching football this season. Uh, I, I was thinking about, I, w- I played offensive line, okay, and the offensive line are the ones who 
Uh, we block, you know, we do the dirty work. The, the glory guys in the back, the quarterbacks and the running backs, they get, to, they get all the, the glamour, you know. But sometimes the offensive line gets a moment of glory. And I want to share with you a story about a, a situation that happened. This was last year, last season. Uh, it, was, it was in a football game, the Baltimore Ravens versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right? And if you know football, you can follow this. If you don't, just do your best you can, okay? The Ravens had the ball, and they were back up against their own end zone. In other words, it was bad. It was third down, seven yards. That's a long way to go on a third down. The quarterback, Lamar Jackson, takes the ball. He steps back. There's a rush. All of a sudden, he drops the ball. He fumbles it. He fumbles the ball. It falls on the ground. And then the announcers are amazed at what happens next. 344-pound offensive lineman Tyree Phillips picks up the ball. He picks up the ball, and he tucks it like this, and he just starts running. And y'all, he runs 22 yards to get a first down. It's incredible before he's brought down by uh, Jaguars linebacker, Miles Jack. He actually had to be tested for a concussion afterwards because he got hit pretty hard. <laughs> but he got a first down. He's an offensive lineman. He picked up the ball and ran with it. He ran with the fumble. Now in football, those of you that know football, you're not actually supposed to do that. You're supposed to fall on the ball and protect it. But God's grace hits different. God's grace makes it so that we can run with a fumble. So that we can pick it up and, and, and not fall on it and protect it and, 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 and navel gaze and, and, and just be sad for the rest of the day, uh, the rest of our lives because of how we blew it. No, God's grace is not like football. God's grace is like what Tyree, Tyree does. Uh, his, Tyree Phillips does. He picks up the ball and he runs with it. And brothers and sisters, that is what God called Jonah to do. To pick up the ball and run with it. To not be afraid of his, uh, not be so ashamed of his past failures, but to leave it with God. See, God saved him. God rescued him. God forgave him. And so he doesn't have to live in that place anymore. But he can take the ball and run with it. God wants you and me to run with the fumbles in our lives. So let me ask you, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? And there's a lot of ways to answer that question in your vocation, in your home, and all of the different roles that you have. The different places and positions that God has put you into, you have something to do there and you fail at it, right? As a parent, you fail as a teacher, you fail as a, a businessman, you fail in all areas of life. So do I. We not only fail, we sin. Right? We bring evil with us into these places, and God's redemption goes there. And when we drop the ball, God says, pick it up and run with it. Don't lay there and protect it. Run with it. God gives us a call the second time. When we've blown it, when we failed, God gives us second and third and fourth and infinite chances. What is God calling you to do? You know, God gave us a commission as Christians. 
And that commission is to, it's very similar to Jonah's actually. It's to go, see that word? To go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jonah was doing. He was going to a foreign nation to make disciples. This is a preview of the church. This is a preview of what we are called to do. Not the pastor. My job is to equip you, actually, to go and make disciples. It's not my job. I'm an equipper. You're the ones, Christians, who are supposed to be out there making disciples of all nations. And he gives us a clue here of what we're supposed to do. How are we supposed to go about that? God gives Jonah these three commands. He says, arise, go, and call out. Arise, go, and call out. Let's look at those really quickly. Arise, wake up. Stop your slumbering. Whatever it is that's got you stuck, God wants to shake you from that. And maybe God's sending things into your life to shake you from that a little bit, like Jonah. And so wake up, arise, get motivated. Recently, uh, I was struggling with being motivated. And a friend of mine recommended a book that I read, and, and, and the book is called Atomic Habits. And, and one, the, the, the quote that I took out of that book that I want to share with you this morning is this. He says, the author James Clear says, Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So I, wanted to, I want to be a runner. This is an example. I want to be a runner, and I have a hard time getting up in the morning. I have a hard time awaking, okay? <laughs> and so the way I used this, this concept of arise was that when I woke up, I, I put my phone, my alarm, across the room, so I had to get up and walk over to it. I walked over to my phone, and I stood there, and I remember a couple of times this fall, standing there at my phone thinking, what type of person do I want to be? I want to be a runner. And that helped me wake up. It helped me arise. It helped me get out of my slumber to think about who the person I wanted to be. Okay? And it's not just who you want you to be. It's who does God want you to be. And so we should allow the vision that God has given us of who he wants us to be. People who make disciples, who, who are helping other people learn to follow Jesus. People who are like Jonah, wandering from God, straying from God. God wants to use you, you, to speak into their life. To go to them and to help guide them in the best way that you can. Not to be a preacher, but to help direct and guide and lead people to the truth. And to lead people to the grace of God. Because I mean, how many people are walking around feeling shame and guilt and are weighed down by the, the burdens of this world? This is a judgmental world that we live in. And, and the less religious it gets, the more judgmental it gets. It's true. <laughs> God's called us to arise and he's called us to go. To get out of your current location. To get out of your current comfort and your current security what is it that's keeping you there what is it that's keeping you from going and taking that step of faith to go into the to go into the lives of people that God has put all around you maybe it's just your own children 
I mean, it could be people that you're in proximity with, but you haven't gone to them. You haven't engaged with them in the way that God wants us to, to make disciples, to share the truth of God, to share the hope of Christ. We shouldn't stay where we are. We should go. I mean, this is the oldest calling that we have. Abraham, Jonah, and Christians. Go, go, go. Pick up the ball. Run with it. Arise, go, and then call out. We don't just go, but we go with a message. And we call out to one another God's word. And brothers and sisters, as you read God's word, think about what, not only what does this mean for me, but what does this mean for my friend at work? Not only what does this mean for me, but what does this mean for my children? Or what does this mean for my roommate? Or what does this mean for anyone that you can think of that God's put in your life? And then when you get together, this is, the, this is where the difference is made. When you actually get together with someone, find a connection to call out God's word to this person. And, and yes, it can be awkward. It can be awkward to say, hey, do you mind if I share a scripture with you that really meant something to me? Can I share that with you? Like that statement can be really hard to do, to call out to someone and say, can I share with you something? And you know, even if, tell me, tell me what's going on in your life. Oh, you got all these fears. Can I pray for you? That simple phrase, can I pray for you and then do it? It can be so powerful to draw a connection, to connect someone to God. And then to connect them to his word and the hope that we have in Christ. Use prayer as a way to break the spiritual ice. Ask people about their fears and their hopes and their struggles and then connect the dots. It's your job, Jonah. It's your job, Jonah, to go. And look, the great thing is you fumbled, right? You failed to do this in the past. So have I. What does God say? There's grace for you. It's a fumble. Pick it up. Run with it. See what God does. You might feel unworthy. What a great place to experience God's grace fresh again. God's grace never gives up on you. His grace never gives up on you. And he's called you for a purpose. To go and make disciples of all nations. God's grace never gives up on you. And God's grace brings the dead to life. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. God's grace brings the dead to life. Jonah's methods were not perfect. He wants us to know, I think, as he's writing this years later, he wants us to know that his methods were not perfect. I mean, his, his message here is summarized, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I think in my first sermon on this series, I said he was the worst prophet ever. Right? He's the worst prophet ever. But he wants us to know that it wasn't his eloquence it wasn't that he put the words together the right way. 
It wasn't that he said it the right way. It's that God's grace was at work through him, through his frailty, through his inability, through his message that was, ju- that was focused on the law and judgment. God still worked his amazing grace, even though this message was, it was kind of heavy on the law, a lot heavy on the law. Nineveh was a truly wicked and desperate, unjust society, a cruel nation, immoral in every way. I want you to think Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Think Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the same word that God used back in Genesis that they would be overthrown. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire from heaven came down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what God is saying to Nineveh. God is saying, turn, repent. And through the prophet Jonah, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah preached a hard yet true message about their sin. But this hard message created a contrast. A beautiful contrast because God's grace is like a sparkling diamond set against the dark backdrop of God's law. Let me say that again. God's grace is like a sparkling diamond set against the dark backdrop of his law and of condemnation. You have to know the bad news before the good news is sweet to you. You have to know the bad news before the good news is sweet to you. Martin Luther, the, the, the priest who I mentioned earlier, in writing his commentary on the book of Galatians, wrote the following about that. And this is a long quote, so I've got it on the screen so you can follow along more easily. I don't normally do long quotes, but here it is. Uh, Martin Luther writes, The silly idea that people can be holy by himself denies God the pleasure of saving sinners. God must therefore first take the sledgehammer of the law, take it in his fist, and smash the beast of self-righteousness and its brood of self-confidence, self-wisdom, and self-help. When the conscience has been thoroughly frightened by the law, it welcomes the gospel of grace with its message of a Savior who came into the world not to break a bruised reed, not to quench the smoking flax, but to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to grant forgiveness of sins to all the captives. When the law drives you to the point of despair, let it drive you a little further. Let it drive you straight into the arms of Jesus. Man, that's good. When the law, (laughs) the sledgehammer, Luther was good at imagery. When the sledgehammer of the law is whacking against your life, and you feel the weight of it, you feel the guilt, then, then let the grace of God drive you into the arms of Jesus. 
Let the grace of God... Christianity should feel... It should feel like you're getting something free. It should feel like you're getting away with something almost. That's how grace should feel. Wait, what? Wait. That's how my son Isaiah, he says, wait, what? Like, like if, 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 if he gets something he doesn't expect. Wait, what? That's how grace should feel. Grace should feel that way, like we're getting something good we don't deserve because you are. Because you are, and I am. But in order to get to that point, we got to get real with our sin. Okay? This is the part, this is the part that nobody wants to hear. We got to get real with our sin. Because God doesn't talk about sin the way we do. You know, we like to say, I messed up. We like to say, I made a mistake. We like to say, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. But God says, yet 40 days and you will be overthrown. That's different. We minimize our sin. We say, oh, it's no big deal. We say, uh, what's the big deal about disobeying my parents? Uh, what's the big deal about a little lie? What's the big deal about a little uh, extra time with my boyfriend? What's the big deal? And God says, yet 40 days, you will be overthrown. We need to get real with how we offend a holy God. Why? Because it is not until we get real with our sin that we can really understand God's grace. It is not until we really get real with our sin that we can realize that we're not just merely flawed, but God says you are dead in your sin. That we are all born in this world dead in our sin. And, and, and every time we indulge in it, it's like we're feeding death. It's like we're going back to the grave in our lives, in our decisions. Every, what, what, did the, what did the author say? He said, every decision you make is a vote for the kind of person you want to be. Every sin is a vote for death. Every sin. Don't minimize sin, friends. Pastor, don't minimize sin. Don't pretend it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Yet 40 days and you will be overthrown, God says to us. We need to, to, to give up the notion that we can just balance out the, good with the, the, the bad with the good. That somehow in the scale of God's balance that our good works amount to anything. The scripture says your, your best deeds are like filthy rags in God's sight. They, they just don't measure up because we are thoroughly sinful. All the way down to our toes, sinful. And so we need something besides better efforts. We need something besides a, a pick-me-up, a, a Sunday morning church service. We need something much more powerful than that. We need a Savior who lived and died for us. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need resurrection. What we need is to go from, from death to life. Not from, I'm a little sick, 
to I need to get better. No, death to life. We need resurrection. And God promises us resurrection. Look, isn't that the story of Jonah? Jonah sins against God. He dies. Right? Almost. And God rescues him from death. God rescues him from death, and he wants to do the same for you. But we got to get dead before we can get alive. We got to get real with our sin before we can receive God's grace. And that means that we got to stop pretending. Look at the response of the people of Nineveh. Look with me at verse 5. Jonah says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And that means they believed God and what He said about their wickedness. But in between the lines, which we will, we will learn later in this book, that they believed God and His mercy. They believed God and His amazing grace. They believed God, and so they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Why did they do that? Because they knew they had a lot of turning around to do. They knew they had a lot of forgiveness that was needed. And so they, 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 they fasted, and they, they, they let themselves feel the burden and the weight of their wickedness. Why? So that God's grace could soothe it. So that God's grace could come in and be a comfort to their despair. Faith and repentance, that is what God calls us to today. Faith and repentance. And so if you're here today and you're like, I don't know about my sin. I'm not sure that I really am much of a sinner. Then look, I want, I want you to take some time with God's word. Take some time with the law. Take some time with Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Okay, Take some time with that. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Take some time with it and ask yourself, how have I fallen short of God's standard, of His glory? And then let yourself feel the weight of your sin. Don't be, af don't be afraid to feel the weight of it. Because the hope of, Christ, the hope of the gospel is right there ready to pick you up. The hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news of God's grace is right there to pick you up. And to carry you away from the misery and to resurrect your life from death. God sent Jesus to this world to make a way for us. And the way he did it was by taking on all of our sin. The Bible says that God made him who didn't sin to be sin for us. That's the good news, that Jesus actually came to be sin for us. And He could only do that because He was sinless. He could only do that because He's the Son of God. And He did it, and He took it to the cross. And on the cross, He, he paid the full penalty of God's justice and of God's wrath. Jesus was overthrown so that Nineveh didn't have to be. Jesus was overthrown on the cross so that you and I don't have to be. So that we could be freed. We could be liberated. We could be given what? Grace. 
we could be given God's grace and filled with His righteousness and given His Holy Spirit and, and sent back on mission again and again and again and again for the second time and the third time and the fourth time. Grace never gives up on you. God never gives up on you. That is the message of this scripture today, that God's grace never gives up on you and that grace brings the dead to life. And so sit with your sin, feel it, and then run to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this great scripture that, that reminds us that even when we've blown it, even when we failed, even when we've gone the opposite direction from your will, that you still give us a second chance. God, thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. God, there's nothing we could do to deserve it. There's nothing we could buy to be right with you. Only your free grace that we receive through faith. And God, I pray for the church today, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see that we are the ones who you've called. That we are the ones from the youngest person here to the oldest. That we are the ones you've called. God, would you please uh, empower us, uh, make us alive, resurrect our hearts, wake us up, send us out, give us the words to say. So that we could see lives changed all around us. Lord, that these empty seats would be filled with people who are coming to life. God, fill the empty seats with people who are coming to life. Not people looking for religious experience, but people who are dead, who are being made alive. God, do that work through the church, through every person seated out here. Lord, do that work. And Lord, help us to encourage each other, to encourage each other as we go about it, remembering that your grace never gives up on us. It is amazing, amazing grace. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.